Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Sandra McGinnis, and I have the honor of sharing with you a topic dear to my heart, and that topic is marriage. I've been married to my husband, Doug, for 42 years. He did not marry an easy woman, but a strong, feisty, and passionate one, one that is continually in the process of learning to be a gracious, loving, and faithful spouse. I am certainly not an expert on marriage, but I humbly come to share with you the tools that I have learned to use in my own marriage. Doug and I have the privilege of providing premarital counseling and coming alongside struggling couples. The topics I've selected to share with you have been found to be the most common struggles for women. During our time together, I will also be sharing some of the insights I have found in Dr. Julie Slattery's excellent book in which she encourages each of us as wives to find the hero in our husbands. Marriage is a union of two sinners. When two sinners turn saints say, I do, they bring their sin patterns with them. Marriage has been described as a romance in which the hero dies in the first chapter. We as wives can either continue to focus on changing the one who we married, or we can focus on changing the person he is married to. We will never improve our marriages by focusing on what our husbands are doing wrong. Our mission is to understand how we should respond to the unique challenges we face. The journey towards finding the hero in your husband begins in this way. A woman never marries the man of her dreams— She helps him become the man of his dreams. Even if you are married to a godly, loving husband, he still battles sin, selfishness, and fear. You may not see right now the impact you have on your husband's life, but the everyday choices you make and how you interact shape who he is becoming. As a wife, you have God-given influence to either bring out the hero or to bury it deeper within your husband's fears and insecurities. Your marriage is important to God, but even more important to Him is your faith. Just as gold is refined by fire, our faith is tested and strengthened by trials. Let's talk about the cycle of intimacy versus the cycle of self-protection. For intimacy to grow, a wife must believe in her man's potential. She can invest in the real-life hero that lies hidden beneath his doubts and insecurities. Or she can retreat into a self-protective mode that creates distance between them. The secret of intimacy in marriage is not finding a hero to be your husband, but finding the hero in your husband. I imagine that most of us have heard that respect is a big deal for men. Ladies, it's critical to developing intimacy with your man. Respecting your husband is recognizing that the intimacy of marriage exposes your man to the greatest fear of his life—failure. And in the absence of our respect for him, he's left to face those fears alone. Your husband brings to your marriage many talents and some shortcomings, but he needs your regular vote of confidence. It's as if every day he wakes up with a question for you. Do you believe in me? He needs to feel that you believe in him and that he is competent to do the job. Our goal should be to be our husband's biggest cheerleader. So ladies, let's raise those pom-poms.
Tiffany shared an amazing podcast recently on how our words matter. I've had to learn, and sometimes the hard way, that my choice of words or my tone can make the difference between Doug feeling respected or walked over. Communication is not just what you mean, but how it is being received. Our words and nonverbals send a message to our husbands of doubt or belief. I have a choice every day to either chip away at him or build him up. No matter how successful or confident a man may seem, he still desperately needs the admiration and approval of his wife. A healthy marriage is when iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27:17. Or Galatians 6:2 says we carry each other's burdens. Sometimes we need to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4:15. A man will naturally avoid something he's not already good at. I will give you a silly example that Doug gave me permission to share and one that God used in our marriage recently. Okay, ladies, I love to play cards. I grew up playing cards. Doug, not so much. So for 44 years, I have pretty much dominated in playing gin with him. He has seen me teach our children and grandchildren who are all great players We have spent many hours around a table laughing while playing cards. When we were away on vacation about a month ago, he asked me if I would share with him my tricks to winning in cards. I was stunned. Part of me wanted to laugh, but another part of me was so thankful he felt safe to confide in me and ask for help. The next day, I taught him all of my strategies. We had many laughs that week playing cards. The Lord used a simple game of cards to bond us closer together. It has been a win-win, except I have been losing since. The word intimacy is the idea of knowing someone in their innermost self and embracing them completely. Building intimacy involves two people who are willing to disclose at the risk of becoming vulnerable. There are three important components to intimacy, willingness, disclosure, and vulnerability. Intimacy is the willingness to move toward each other in a meaningful way. There needs to be a cycle of intimacy established. This cycle looks like this. He values and protects her. He is a hero in her eyes. She respects and completes him. She is lovely in his eyes. Unfortunately, life can get in the way of consistently holding this cycle together. So how can we maintain it better? Let me offer a few suggestions, if I may. One, perhaps showing appreciation by affirming how he provides for your family. Two, by making his favorite meal unexpectedly. Three, planning an overnight getaway. Four, asking how you can be praying for him as he heads out the door for work. If you as a couple get into a cycle of self-protection, this is what tends to happen. He hurts or devalues her. He is untrustworthy in her eyes. She undermines and humiliates him. She is unlovely in his eyes. It might look like this. Questioning the way your husband did something after he completed a task his way Or when he loads the dishwasher and you find it necessary to rearrange what he just finished your way? Ladies, if you have to change it, at least find a time to do it when he isn't looking. Right? Be thankful that he is trying to help. Let him know you are thankful. 
We need to be intentional in our relationship to promote the cycle of intimacy and guard against falling into the cycle of self-protection. Next, let's discuss conflict in marriage and how to develop a recipe for success. A conflict in your marriage is any difference between you and your husband. It can be something as simple as he likes in and out and you like Chick-fil-A, or he likes the bedroom freezing cold and you don't. Just wait, ladies, you will someday. He leaves lights on when leaving a room while you go around turning them off. He loves to get to the airport hours early. You, not so much. One might be a bargain hunter while the other is not. It has been said that about two-thirds of all conflicts between couples are unsolvable, meaning that most of the things you argue about don't have a compromise or a solution. A conflict is not the same as a fight, but a conflict can become a fight. Any conflict, big or small, becomes a fight when a few things happened. When one of you gets triggered, A trigger is something that brings up past feelings and experiences. When we get triggered, we feel threatened, and safety becomes more important than intimacy. Let me share with you a personal example. I get really nervous when I'm feeling like Doug is driving too fast, like over 65 miles an hour. My reaction is to become fearful and slam on my pretend brakes. When I do this, his reaction is to immediately respond defensively because he feels that he's not a good driver in my eyes. Over the years, Doug and I have learned a critical skill we call timeout. When we see that we are sliding into a fight, we call a timeout. A timeout is one of us saying, I'm going down a bad road right now. I don't want to fight with you. I'm on your team. These timeouts don't mean we ignore the conflict. We set a time to reconvene. But the timeout gives us an opportunity to calm down, pray, check our emotions, and think of the other point of view, which allows us to approach the conflict in a healthier way with the right motives. Making decisions in the spirit of oneness is vital. What you decide is less important than how you come to that decision. A fight will always be about me versus you. Remember, ladies, your husband and you are on the same team. Couples can cope with almost any situation if they believe they are in it together. When it becomes my opinion versus yours, the blaming starts and oneness stops. Fighting ends when damage has been done or someone wins. Healthy conflict ends when you have a deeper understanding of each other. So what do we put on and take off in preparing for a conflict? Colossians 3, 8-14 tells us, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This passage tells us what to take off when we are preparing for conflict. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, foul language, and dishonesty. Then it tells us what to put on, 
compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Let's learn a new way when it comes to dealing with conflict. Number one, identify the problem. This takes some time, prayer, and perspective. You might ask yourself, why did I feel so angry, wounded, or irritated? Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 reads, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 2. Prepare the ground. Preparing the ground means perhaps reading Colossians 3 and pray, asking the Lord to give you right perspective and patience. The time and place to address the conflict is important. 3. State the problem. Remember, your husband is not the problem. The problem is the problem. This is not the time to explain your perspective. That comes later. Now you are just putting the problem into play for your husband to share his thoughts and feelings. Let me share a typical example to illustrate the point. So last night when we were with your parents, I felt really hurt. The topic of the holidays came up and you went along with their suggestions. I felt hurt that you didn't give us room to talk together about how to spend the holidays. Notice the wife is not attacking her husband's character. She is confronting him with how she feels. Number four, listen. After you've stated the problem, it's time for you to listen. This is such a critical step in conflict because it's where you give up your demand to get your own way, and you are building a bridge to understanding your husband. By truly listening, you show you care about more than just winning an argument. Listening is not zoning out until it's your turn to talk. Listening is not building your argument against what your husband is saying. Listening is the effort to learn about your husband. You can use nonverbals like nodding your head and making eye contact, but listening might include asking good follow-up questions like, Help me understand what you mean by that. Or have you ever felt that way before? Number five, validate. You can only validate someone if you have truly listened to them. Validation means that you've heard your husband and recognize his experience and how it differs from yours. This is the key. You can validate your husband's thoughts and feelings without agreeing with them. Validation also means taking responsibility for your part in the conflict. When I said that, I truly did not mean to hurt you. In most situations, a person would rather be validated in conflict than win an argument. The conflict is not ultimately about being right or wrong, but about being heard, seen, and understood. Let's say your husband said, oh, I didn't realize that might hurt you. You can then say, I appreciate you sharing what you were thinking and that you didn't intend to upset me by the way you handled it. Remember, grace wins. Number six, share to be understood. Now is the time for you to help your husband understand how you feel. Again, the goal is not blaming or winning an argument. It's helping him see your heart. This is when you could take the opportunity to share with your man that you felt he was more concerned 
about pleasing his parents than he was about being sensitive to your feelings, and that caused you to feel less than his first priority. Remember to thank him for listening to your heart. Now it's time to act. Connect with each other with something as simple as a hug or a prayer together. This is a way to symbolize that you are on the same team and care for each other. Remember, you have the Holy Spirit. True love is only possible through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is something you cannot do without His help. The ultimate conflict in marriage is not my way versus my husband's way. It's my way versus yielding to the work of God in my life and marriage. Now let's move on to a topic that some women would consider a dirty word. It's the issue of submission. When I was a new believer at 19 and heard the word submission, I remember thinking, I can't do this. I have a voice. I'm not a doormat. You see, my parents divorced when I was 15, and I had to grab a hold of my unstable life and become self-sufficient. When I became a wife, it was hard for me to let go of the control I had gained. To be transparent, this issue has been the hardest struggle in my marriage. I needed to ask the Lord to open my eyes and heart to honor Him in the area of control. I am finding when I rest in Him and seek to honor Him, things fall into a peaceful place. What submission is and what it's not. Submission does not mean that women are less capable than men. Submission does not mean that I should be silent. It's not whether I'm using my voice but how I'm using my influence that defines a gentle and quiet spirit. Submission does not mean blind obedience. So what is it? Submission means a voluntary attitude of giving in and cooperating. It is the willful posture of using your power to support your husband's leadership. You recognize your power and you choose to harness it for a greater goal. Instead of undercutting and being bossy towards my husband, I choose to invest in him. By choosing submission, I do not neglect my influence in my marriage. I accentuate it. The opposite of a submissive woman is a dominant or controlling woman. Mothers instruct their sons in how to behave. Your husband does not need you to be his mother, scolding him, which robs him of his masculinity. A submissive wife uses her God-given influence to build her husband's ability to lead. I'm learning that intimacy starts when I accept the mission of submission. When I started embracing the goal of communicating this attitude, it changed the way I viewed every decision, every conflict, and each interaction with my husband. It has caused me to develop a changed heart towards him. I'm not seeking to compete with him. It is no longer I win, you lose, but I can't win unless I am helping him win. I know that my husband cannot become the hero God created him to be if I'm not consistently committing my strength to complete rather than to compete with him. Submission is when you recognize that what you are building in your marriage is most often more important than what you disagree about. It is an act of our will. 
Nagging doesn't work. Believe me, I've tried it. Being submissive is not being a wallflower, but showing our godliness by helping and supporting our husbands. Submission means not giving way to fear. Sue Mills shared with us last year how even when our husbands make a wrong decision or follow a wrong path, we are to pray and bring them before the Lord. Our calling is to submit and trust the Lord, as Paul shares in Ephesians 5, 22-24. This is where our faith is being developed in the loving arms of our Father, in His Word, and on our knees. In closing, Whatever the state of your marriage, it's important for us first to reflect on the state of our faith. Hebrews 12.2 says to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Are you able to look beyond what's happening in your home life at this moment and get a glimpse of God? Can you trust that He is working even if you see no improvement in your husband? Each one of us is called to put aside our own desires and ambitions. Romans 12.1 says we are to be a living sacrifice. My encouragement to you is to not allow either your disappointment or your happiness in marriage to interfere with what is most important, your relationship with God. He is our ultimate hero husband. Paul said it best in Philippians 4.12-13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Our marriages are one of the vehicles God uses to refine and teach us love. Julie Slattery ends her book with this powerful statement, When those who know me best reflect on my life, Let them not say she was a happy wife, but she was a faithful woman. May the same be said of us. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that I've had to share with these ladies on such a sweet and sensitive topic of marriage. Lord, let the things that have been shared today sink deeply into the hearts of the ladies that they can apply them and ponder them throughout the week. Lord, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Virtue Podcast. We look forward to seeing you girls next week.